Welcome to a special edition of Title Talks. This episode is all about a new practice that title professionals need to be aware of. They're called right to list agreements. It's where a company will give payments to homeowners up front in exchange for an agreement to list the property later on. This agreement is typically recorded as a 40-year covenant that in many states could cause some big headaches down the road. And we're exploring how you can help your clients if you run across them in your transaction. Today's guest is Maryland-based real estate attorney, Nancy Gussman. She's very familiar with this new trend and doing everything she can to make it illegal for companies to unfairly target the most financially vulnerable homeowners. I'm Lindsay Gordon, and this is Title Talks. Nancy, thanks so much for joining us today. This is a really important topic, and I'm excited to have you on to share with our listeners. Thank you for inviting me, Lindsay. Can you explain a little bit about who you are, what your background is? Sure. I am a real estate attorney. I um, practice in the D.C. and Maryland um, area. Um, I've been doing this for over 35 years, and this is what I do. I do real estate law and handle real estate closings, et cetera. So we are talking about um, right to list agreements. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the, the generic um, term for it. Explain a little bit about what, what these are. So what these are is a real estate brokerage or an agent working with a real estate brokerage approaches a homeowner and offers them a small amount of cash in exchange for a right to list their property for sale in the future. And in the process, the homeowner signs an agreement, either a memorandum of that agreement or the actual agreement itself is recorded in the land records, creating an encumbrance on the property, requiring that whenever the property changes hands, regardless of whether it's sold, passed through family, passed through an estate, et cetera, then there is a real estate commission owed to this real estate company. Who are they targeting typically? Typically, they are targeting properties um, that have equity in them. I would say the unsophisticated homeowner. Why is this an issue right now? Um, The issue is that these documents that they are recording is creating a 40-year obligation not just on the current homeowner, but on anybody who subsequently owns the property. So if I were to enter into this agreement with this real estate company, then they would then record this document creating a 40-year covenant on my property. And if I decided to just deed the property to my daughter, then my daughter would have the obligation to list the property with them. Or if I sold the property to somebody without using their services, that person would have the obligation. The company who's doing this is like saying either the, they're either going to list with them at the time that they're going to sell the property, or they're going to have to pay this company like a set amount based off of what exactly? In the agreement, it will state a value 
of the property. And then the homeowner is obligated to pay a certain percentage of that value as a real estate commission, um, whether or not it's earned. If I were to transfer title to my property without utilizing their services, it's the amount's going to be set by the value that was put in the contract. Um, if I list my property with them, then they will get a percentage of whatever the purchase price is. And for some people, this might be okay, right? You know, for some homeowners, it could it could be advantageous. It could be advantageous for some homeowners. The real harm is the 40-year obligation. Um, I shouldn't be locked in to for 40 years to having to um, list my property with this company. The other problem with this is that they have in there that they can transfer their rights under the contract without my permission. So this, if this real estate company decided to sell out or go out of business or whatever, they could transfer their rights under these agreements to some other real estate company without my knowledge. The other issue is, you know, real estate is a very one-on-one -on -one type of thing. People develop relationships with their agent, not the company. And so I have a real estate agent who comes and has a conversation with me. And I'm like, sure, you know, someday I would be glad to list my property with you. But by the time I'm ready to list my property, that person's gone. And I'm getting somebody who I've never met before. Yeah. So essentially you're kind of locked into to working with someone that you may not want to work with later on down the line. Correct. I'm curious to know how how did you first learn about these? So I first learned about it on um, the Alta Open Forum when somebody posted a question uh, about how it's being handled in a particular state. And I was like, huh, what is this? So I went and I looked it up online and I was like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> so a conversation developed in the open forum and at which point Alta created a work group to try to see what we could do to stop the bleeding on this. From a, a title person's perspective, like mm -hmm. when they're handling um, a transaction, what are some things that they should be looking for okay. that they that they need to be aware of in the event that they're they're finding? So oftentimes when people get their um, title report, you know, their, their search report, it'll just list an agreement recorded on a particular date in a particular book and page or instrument number, depending on the jurisdiction. And oftentimes the title companies don't really look behind that. They don't look at the document to see what it is. So they don't know that that obligation exists. So what I tell, what I'm telling my title company clients is you need to make sure that you're looking at every document that's listed on your title title search report um, and make sure that you understand what that document is and don't just rely on the person who searched to tell you what it is. Because what's going to happen is that there's going to be a requirement for this to get paid because those, the buyer is not going to want to take this on. And if it doesn't get paid, 
then there's going to be an exception in that owner's policy. So now that buyer is getting stuck with this obligation and they're not covered for it in their title insurance. And they don't know that, that, that that's happening. You had mentioned before that in the, the states that are allowed to record memorandums in lieu of like the full agreement, like mm -hmm. what you had mentioned that you had helped in, in the state of Maryland where you're located, um, ch change the way they're allowed to record. Yes. So originally they were recording the memorandum of agreement, which is just a piece of paper so that says there's an agreement out there that places this 40-year covenant on the property. But in Maryland, a memorandum of a contract is not a recordable document. Um, and I learned that when I tried to record one a couple of years ago, and I was told, you can't do that. So I reached out to our attorney general's office and said, hey, I'm seeing these on record. And I was told I couldn't record one. And the response I got is that they are now requiring the real estate company to record the entire agreement instead of the memorandum. It, you said that Florida is a little bit different. Yes. Can you explain that? So in Florida, and I'm not really familiar with Florida law, but what I have seen in Florida is that they are recording a shorter document that is a three-year um, obligation. And um, instead of enforcing it as a covenant, the real estate company has to foreclose on it like they would on a mortgage. So that is a little bit different. I am assuming that there may be other states where they have to do it a little bit differently than just simply recording the agreement or a memorandum of the agreement and then suing to enforce the contract. Of all of the states I've looked at, which is just a handful, Florida's the only one who is different from um, the other ones. Where is this happening? Almost every state. They have spread across the country um, rapidly. I know that they are not going into Texas because Texas law doesn't really give them the room to do this. And I believe that there are some other states that similarly they can't go into because there is already statutes on the books that prevent them from doing it. But they are attempting to get into all of the states where they're allowed to do it. Are there examples of like instances where people have come up against these and like really kind of paid the price in terms of? Yes, as a matter of fact, um, so we've had instances where people were selling their property and they, you know, it was, it's not worth the money to lose the sale. So they go ahead and just pay the, the fee. Um, it's also, the fee is usually small enough that it's not worth suing the real estate company. We also have an issue on refinances because the agreement states that if the bank forecloses, the bank is obligated under this covenant. So we have instances where um, people want to refinance and they can't. And so now they're going to go and they're going to pay the real estate company to go away so they can refinance. So in those situations, the, the bank is basically saying, we're not going to agree to this. Correct. Term. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's, you know, it, it's, it's extreme. 
And um, there are many instances where this real estate company has sued, either they have sued the property owner who entered the agreement with them, or they have actually sued the subsequent property owner um, who doesn't even have any clue that this thing exists. They're not fooling around and they've only been doing this for a couple of years and this already become a really big deal. When we talk about how how tough it is from state to state to like recognize these sort of things, like what is the process that, you know, you as part of this task force and Alta, you know, as the overseeing organization, you know, for, for the industry, um, what is it that you guys are, are doing to try and, I don't know if it's like make these null or, or make them, you know, illegal? How, how, how does that process work? So the first thing that we did is we created a position paper so that Alta has a clear position with regard to these types of contracts. And then the next step um, that we're working on now is to create a, basically a standard um, legislative bill that from state to state, their members can take that and modify it for their particular state and then have that bill introduced into the legislative sessions in 2023 in order to have the states prohibit this activity. So it is, it's not like as easy as saying like, okay, we can try and approach it at a federal level. Um, correct. It's, it's really state by state as to what is enforceable against real estate in that state. I know that in Maryland, we are hoping to get something introduced in January as emergency legislation and to try to put a stop to this in our state. Do you, how old are some of the ones that you guys have seen recorded? Like how, how long have they been doing this? I haven't seen anything that goes back any further than 2021. Um, there could oh, be okay. further back in other states. The concept evolved in 2018 where a Wall Street investment firm approached a specific real estate company with this idea. Um, and then before they really gained any traction on it, the two got into a dispute and are now involved in litigation with each other. I don't know if any states have anything that go back as far as 2018, um, but I have not seen anything that goes back any further than 2021. I mean, it, it feels kind of like a shady practice. I mean, it, obviously, mm -hmm. if it's a, you know, homeowner who really needs, you know, this sort of white knight situation where it's like, here, we can give you money now, you know, mm -hmm. and then all you have to do is list this with us, kind of like a payday advance sort of thing. Right. Do you think there need to be more education efforts? Um, and like, how do you think we could go about educating homeowners at this point? Um, that's a really good question. I think that we start by educating the real estate community as a whole so that they can, so that they know to look out for this. Um, and then they can educate some of the buyers and sellers that they're talking to. I am a huge fan of public service announcements. You don't see them very much anymore. Um, but I'm a big fan of PSAs on radio, on television, the places where people are paying attention. You know, if there's some sort of governmental agency that puts out a PSA warning people, be aware of this practice. 
Um, unfortunately, we don't see PSAs coming out very much anymore. And it's, it makes it very difficult to educate people on, on any possible scam or activity that could harm them. There's so much right now too, you know, we mm -hmm. talk about fraud, you know, they talk about deed fraud or stealing or, you know, I mean, which is not nearly that common, right. um, but like there, or, you know, wire fraud and that sort of things. I mm -hmm. feel like there's just, it's a hard, cause so something like this would probably get lost in the noise, you know? Right. Exactly. So for you, you know, working on this, like, why is it something that you have dedicated time to? Why is it important to you? Um, because it really bothers me that a real estate company would go out and take advantage of unsophisticated homeowners in this manner. It also seems like an unfair trade practice. People are not really, they're not knowledgeable enough to know that they need to shop for something. And because they're not even on the, in the market to sell their property right now, they're not even thinking about the fact that they need to look at other companies. It's just, you know, hey, somebody's giving me 500 bucks. I'll take the 500 bucks. And they're not even thinking about what they're obligated themselves to. And most consumers do not read what they sign. And even if they did, they may not understand it. And yes, they are told, oh, you can have your attorney review this but how many people have an attorney to send it to, to review, and I'm only getting $500. How much am I going to have to pay the attorney to review it? It's a practice that takes advantage of people's vulnerabilities. In a lot of cases, is it, you know, I mean, you said $500. What kind of profit are, is this company making off of people? There's an example of a property not far from where I live, where they gave the person $1,500 and the obligation is $30,000. So it's basically like a, a loan where they're making a lot of money off of. Um, yes, sort of. It's a lot of money that they're making for a small amount up front. For you, all of this effort, what would be like the, the bare minimum that you would like to see change? If at least we can get this done, then I would feel like a little better about it. I think that these types of agreements need to be prohibited by law. That's the bare minimum. And the law needs to be written in a manner that it just doesn't just focus on these specific contracts, but it doesn't invite other companies to try to do something similar. Personally, I think that I would love to see state real estate commissions or the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau come down on this real estate company for unfair trade practices, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I think that our best bet is to get laws passed in other state saying you can't do this if i'm an individual title professional like what can i do to help like either educate or like help make sure that these practices aren't taking advantage of people in my state talk to your representatives in your state legislature and encourage them to pass a law prohibiting this practice is there anything else that you want to make sure that people know about or that we're sharing just to beware you need to make sure as a title company, you need to make sure that you are looking at the documents that you find um, referenced in your title reports and to the consumers to just be wary and not fall for a long-term obligation like this. 
One thing I did want to also touch on is like what happens once the agreement has been like met when when either they do list the house with the um, the specific brokerage that they have mm -hmm. this agreement with or they have paid off this company, you know, um, to get out of this agreement, like what happens in that point? Well, what's supposed to happen is that the agreement is supposed to be released from the record. Um, which create which requires another document to be recorded saying that this obligation has been satisfied. Unfortunately, it's difficult to follow up on. It's difficult to know where these things stand. So I sell my property and I use this company to list my property and they get their commission. And now you own my property, okay? And you go to sell it but the covenant hasn't been released and you have no way of knowing how to go back and find out whether or not the agreement was satisfied. Unlike mortgages, it's really easy to find out whether a mortgage has been paid and satisfied. This type of agreement is a little bit more difficult to follow. Well, just like with mortgages, if the bank is defunct or, you mm -hmm. know, that it's been sold off and it's been not maybe tracked with MERS, um, you know, if, like you had said, this agreement allows for the obligation or the, you know, benefit or obligation to transfer to another company, mm -hmm. being able to track down the original person or the original organization that, that they signed that agreement with, and that may not have like recorded that subsequent document. It seems like that would make title clearing really tough. Absolutely. Definitely would. So there's a, another level of, of vigilance, I would say, that the title professional wants to um, take. If I mean, how would they even know that they're they're dealing with this type of thing, other than the fact that it's recorded, it's in the documents? So I think that just like with mortgage payoffs, the company that pays it, the title company that handles that payment, it's going to be their obligation to chase down that release. If it gets paid in some other manner rather than through... A title company, just like when people pay off their own mortgages, that becomes another another issue, another problem. But since most of them would be paid off through the closing, most of them, the title companies will have that additional obligation of track, tracking down that release of the covenant. You had mentioned something about how this is sort of similar to, to what transfer fees for developers. It's along the same lines. So the transfer fees came with developers creating a subdivision when they put in utility lines and stuff like that. They were recording these things for transfer fees so that every time the property transferred, the company received payment. And we successfully got the state legislatures to prohibit the use of the transfer fees across the country. Um, and again, it was the same type of thing. Each state we had to place in a bill for consideration in the state legislature and try to get it passed. And you know, that's a time-consuming effort. Um, every state operates at a different pace. Sometimes you can get it through in a single legislative session. And sometimes you have to keep coming back for years, year after year until you can finally get it passed. Yeah, painstaking. <laughs> it is. It is painstaking. You know, on the in the alternative, um, 
one of the things that I'm doing in Maryland is I have reached out to the state regulatory agencies who would regulate this area. So I've gone to the Real Estate Commission. I've gone to our Department of Finance. I've gone to our Attorney General's office in hopes that they will act to prohibit the practice without necessarily having to go through the legislative process. Yeah, yeah. You know, they may be able to tag this to some existing law and say, yeah, this is not okay. I mean, we've got consumer protection laws, you've got unfair trade practices laws, you've got the real estate commission regulates how a real estate brokerage can get paid because this sort of sits between a real estate commission and a loan. The Department of Finance may be able to come in and say that it doesn't fall within our statutes for lending. So I'm hoping that between all of these agencies, they're going to come up with something that they can tag to an existing statute, which of course would be a lot easier than getting a new statute passed. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Nancy. I really oh, appreciate you, Lindsay. you. It was fun. All right. Bye -bye. Have a good day. I see you too. If you're interested in learning more about right to list agreements, you can visit our show notes for links to articles from the American Land Title Association. They recently released a new article detailing steps the organization is taking to prohibit this practice. We will also host a webinar on the topic with Nancy in January. We hope you enjoyed the special episode and from all of us at PropLogics, happy holidays and happy closings.